0: Hello, and welcome to the Laverne Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. You can find us at 244 Old Nashville Highway, Laverne, Tennessee, 37086. We hope that anytime you are in the area, you will stop by and join us for worship. Our Sunday morning worship is at 9 a.m., with Bible classes following. Our Sunday evening worship is at 6 p.m., and we also have a Bible study on Wednesday at 7 p.m. This morning's scripture reading will come from Ephesians 4, 4-6, and that will be found on page 1039. Ephesians 4, 4-6. through 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Good morning and welcome, and uh, happy Thanksgiving this week to everybody. It is so good to see everybody here today, good to see uh, some of our folks that are away in other areas of the world sometimes that are here with us today, and uh, man, just so happy to be able to bring the word to you this morning. We uh, began last week our last series of this year's theme, of this year's focus, which is entitled One. One. And comes from the book of Ephesians chapter 4 verses 4 through 6 where the Bible tells us there is one body and there is one spirit even as you are called in the one hope that belongs to your call one Lord one faith one baptism one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in you all those are the seven ones of true religion we talked about the fact that we are one body or one church last week and today we are going to talk about this uh, idea of one spirit. I want to begin by asking you a question this morning, and that is Do you believe in spirit beings? Now, I asked this question that maybe some of you this morning are thinking is a silly question. You know, I'm here in, in church, so of course I believe in spirit beings. And uh, yeah, I, I hope that, that all of you do, but I bring that up because while I was studying for this lesson, I came across a couple of, of uh, polls that have been made in the last couple of years, a couple of surveys that have been done in the past couple of years, and was a little bit surprised to find out that there is actually a fairly high percentage of people that claim to be Christians in this country that uh, don't believe in the Holy Spirit as a personal being. And, On the same note, there are quite a surprising number of Christians that don't believe that Satan is real. Just a concept, a metaphor for evil or something like that. Well, I know that that is not the case here at Laverne Church of Christ. I also know uh, that these polls, one conducted by Pew Research, I think, the other by Barna, are polling a lot of people that I I don't understand to actually be Christians at all according to the Word of God in spite of the fact that they identify as such. And so these polls are of a wide variety of folks that come from a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different mindsets and ideologies uh, with regard to the Word of God. But I just want to say it boldly this morning that if you are in fact a real Christian, That means that you take the Bible as the inspired and inerrant Word of God and is authoritative in every way. And everything that it says comes from the mind of God and is absolutely truth. And so if you are truly a follower of Jesus, of course you believe in spirit beings. By that I mean living entities, living personalities, creatures with a mind that exist but invisible to the mortal eye. And the Bible teaches us that there are, in fact, a great many spirit creatures. And at the top of the list of all creatures of any type is, of course, God. And the Bible teaches us of the triune nature of God or of the Trinity of God. We just sang about that just a moment ago, that there we're one in the Spirit, we're one in the Lord. We talked about God our Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God, there is one God. We are monotheists. There is one God and only one God, and that one God exists in the form of three separate and distinct personalities or persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that doctrine is absolutely a fundamental doctrine of the Christian faith. You cannot disagree with that teaching and be right with the Bible. It is not possible. That is a fundamental of the Christian faith. And so I know that you all believe that. And if you're new to us here and you weren't sure about that before, well, thank God you're sure of that now because that's what the Bible absolutely teaches. Our text then, Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6, I quoted it, but let's read it together on the screen. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Now I'm going to talk about Lord and I'm going to talk about Father, Lord willing, in a later sermon in this series, but I underlined those on your screen to highlight the fact that in this list of the seven ones of true religion, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are each distinctly mentioned. These are part of the foundation of Christian unity. And that's uh, one of the primary purposes of the of Ephesians 4 4 through 6 is to teach us this truth and so the Trinity the doctrine of the Trinity teaches us as the Father so the Son so the Holy Spirit and again this is absolutely fundamental now I got five points this morning and I'm going to do my best to get through them all and so I'm going to be moving at a pace that I hope you will be able to follow along with well Uh, because I believe that the five things I'm going to say today about the Holy Spirit are vital and important things, all right? So get your thinking caps on, your note-taking pencils ready, or your apps open, or whatever the case may be, and let's go number one. The Holy Spirit indwells, that's the religious word that means dwells in Christians, Let's look at what the Word of God has to say. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. The Bible says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? something you need to take note of. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 6 in just a moment, because 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians 6 both have a temple passage that says to the church, you are the temple of God because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit dwelling in you. In 1 Corinthians 3, the pronouns there, the U's are plural. The way we would say this in English, and in fact, if you ever take a Greek class, uh, you will find that our, uh, our pronoun, y'all, is something that is very popular with Greek teachers because the word y'all communicates plural you in a way that... Uh, that you might say uh, non-Southern English has trouble communicating. Has to add words to the sentence. You guys are, you know, that sort of thing. If you're from West Virginia or, or from Eastern Kentucky, it might be Ewan's and maybe even some folks up in Knoxville and that area. Ewan's and Usins and all that. All of those pronouns are really good things, really, even if they're not considered proper English. But we could literally translate this passage. Do y'all not know that y'all are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in y'all? That's what it says. And that's what it means. And so why are we? Why is the church the temple? Because the Holy Spirit dwells in the church. And therefore this is the temple in the New Testament era. First Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Paul says, or do you not know that your body, all of the pronouns here are singular. So now we're not talking about the whole church. We're talking about the individual Christian. And so here Paul says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? And there is an application of this right away. You are not your own. You belong to God, brothers and sisters, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body, right? Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, just as the whole body, the church, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, verses 9 through 11 teaches us some of the practical truths about the nature of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Paul writes, you, however, not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. That doesn't mean you're not still in a fleshly body but it means so far as covenant is concerned, so far as the rule of your life is concerned, the way that you're living, what motivates your living. You're no longer living according to the desires of the flesh, of the fleshly body. You are living according to the desires, the will of the Spirit of God. As Christians, we've been called to a higher level way of living, and we ought not be at all ashamed to say to the world, we are following a higher standard, the standard of God, not the standard of fleshly desires of those of the world. So Paul says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. He's writing to Christians who know that in fact the spirit of God dwells within them. Anyone, notice, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. This passage connects the indwelling of the Holy Spirit with hope, and it's interesting when we get into Ephesians four four through six. You got you got body, you got spirit, you got hope. All of these things are connected. But I want us to see in this passage Romans eight nine through eleven. We got several terms: Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ, Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead. We've got His Spirit. All of these in this passage are terms for the. Holy Spirit who is the person of the Godhead who dwells in the church and who dwells in the Christian. And so this this is the biblical concept of tabernacling or templing or indwelling. All of these words refer to the same biblical idea, that God wants to live with his That was the original Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 aim of God, and it has always been the aim of God. And we see throughout the history of Israel and coming into the establishment of the church, one of the central purposes of everything that God has been doing is to affirm to us that He wants to be where we are, and He wants us to be where He is. God is our Father, and He wants a relationship with us, His children. And so we see that God the Father is in full and direct unity with God the Son, who is in full and direct unity with God the Holy Spirit, who is in full and direct unity with faithful followers of Jesus according to the new covenant. And so because the Holy Spirit is with us, through Him we are with Jesus, and if we are with Jesus, then we are with and we are in God our Father in a connected, close, and personal relationship. And this is a beautiful truth of the Christian religion and of the New Testament system. And let me tell you this, nobody outside of Christ is connected with the Father. You can Go back to John 14. And listen to what Jesus has to say in verses 1 through 6. And again, it affirms this truth. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. And it is Jesus who has sent the Holy Spirit to indwell the church. We read in 1 Corinthians 6, 17, he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Now, I wish I had all this morning to just talk about that passage because that is powerful. But I simply want to draw your attention to it because that concept, being one spirit with him, is very relevant to the next thing we're going to talk about. Number two this morning, there is a vital relationship between the Holy Spirit and baptism there's a vital relationship between the Holy Spirit and baptism and this is something that a lot of folks in Christendom are very much confused about I'm gonna we'll try to make it simple look Acts two thirty-eight, and Peter said to them repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and note the promise here and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit so we have a connection here between Christian baptism and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. Moving on to John 3, verse 5. Jesus said, "Uh, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, there was no debate about this passage for at least 1,500 years in Christian history that this is a baptism passage. Even when the Protestant Reformation began, you can read the writings of Martin Luther and recognize he understood John 3:5 to be a baptism passage. There are some folks that consider themselves evangelicals today that will deny that, but they are unfortunately wrong. This passage is a baptism passage, and if you look at the context of John 3, you can affirm that in a number of different ways. And so again, in this passage, we have the connection between being born of the water, being baptized into Christ, and uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, connected together there. A parallel to John 3, 5 is Titus 3, 5. Uh, where Paul tells us he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, how? By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. You see, when a believer comes to the point of obeying the gospel, and decides I'm going to obey the commandment to be baptized for the forgiveness of my sins, the Holy Spirit is the one that does the work on that soul, the regenerating work on that soul. And we'll talk about that again in just a moment. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 makes it abundantly clear. For in one spirit, some of your Bible versions may say by one spirit, in one spirit or by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. You see the connection? There is one body and one spirit. And on the passage goes. All right, we were baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. There's that ending phrase there, made to drink of one spirit. It reminds us of John 4. Verses 13 and 14, in that context we talked about last series, about worship in spirit and in truth, where Jesus gives a a promise to the woman at the well he was studying with. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, that is the water of Jacob's well, the, the physical water of this world, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But Jesus now speaking in metaphorical terms, he, he says, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I, give him will, that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And if you look at the context of John 4, you will see that John makes it clear that he was speaking of the Holy Spirit who would be given to those who would follow Jesus. And so there is uh, a connection between baptism and between receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit that is made clear through the whole of the New Testament. If you have not been baptized into Jesus Christ, you have not received the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you have not been baptized into Christ, you have not been added to the body, the church, and therefore you are not part of the temple, the church that is indwelled by the Holy Spirit. If you want the help to be the kind of person that God wants you to be, you cannot do that without God's help. You must become a Christian if you want God's help to overcome the power of sin in your life. You need the help of the Holy Spirit to accomplish that. And therefore, if you are old enough to know right from wrong, and you recognize you've sinned and fall short of the glory of God, as all have done, Romans 3 and verse 23, and you have not obeyed the gospel plan of salvation, culminating in being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, you cannot possibly overcome the power of sin in your life, and you are not destined to live in heaven with God. You are destined for hell, and you need to change your circumstances today by choosing to obey the gospel. Number three there, the Holy Spirit is our source of spiritual life the Bible says in James chapter 2 verse 26 the first part of that verse the body apart from the spirit is dead you have a spirit in your body that tabernacles in your body your own spirit the tabernacles in your body and when that spirit leaves your body your body will die that's the order of things in this fallen world Hebrews 9 and verse 27 says it is appointed for all of us it's a date that we all will keep unless the Lord comes back first. This is a principle that is, that is more important than just thinking about physical life and, and uh, the death of the body. It has an application also to thinking about the church. And here's the principle here. This is the rule for human life in this world. One body plus no spirit equals death. It equals dust. All right? One body with no spirit is dead and it is going to return to the dust. All right, one body plus one spirit equals one soul or one life or one entity. Throughout the Bible, the words spirit and soul, both in Hebrew and Greek, can refer to the same thing. But there are passages in context where both of those words are used in the same context. In that context, they have specific and distinct meanings. A soul is an entire being, an entire person in that sense. And the spirit is that, that immaterial part, the, the rational part, the emotional part, the, the moral part of the being that God has placed within us that is made in his likeness. And so one body plus one spirit equals one soul or one life or one entity. One body plus multiple spirits equals demonic influence. And the result of that will be evil disorder and division James 3:14 through 16 Now this is why I focused just a moment ago on what Paul says that one who is joined with the Lord becomes one spirit with him because I anticipate somebody might say well I mean if I have a spirit from God and the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in me doesn't that mean that there are multiple spirits dwelling in me not if things are the way that they're supposed to be If you have multiple spirits in you, then there are multiple ideologies warring for your loyalty. Multiple wills of the various spirits that each want you to go different directions. You can read in the Gospels during the uh, era of Christ's ministry and the miraculous infancy of the church. Uh, the devil was still allowed, his demons were still allowed to possess human beings' bodies. You have the man uh, of, Gereser, of Gennesaret who had the demons that called themselves in an ungodly unity legion. And all of these demons vying for each of their individual wills in this one poor man's body, they were tearing his life apart. And and brothers and sisters, I want to start to make the application to the church here because the church is supposed to have one spirit. And if the church has one spirit, then there is one mind. If the church has one spirit and one mind, there is one will. There's one agenda. There's one direction. There's one goal. There's one work. There's one family, one community. There is a unity that exists in the church of Christ because of the one will that is supposed to be guiding us all, the will of the Holy Spirit of God. And so there's not a multiple wills in the church when all things are healthy and right. There's one will in the church, one spirit, just as it ought to be in your own mind, individually, your own body. Are you being led by the Holy Spirit? If so, your spirit becomes one spirit with him. Just as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in perfect agreement, in perfect unity, so that even though they are three entities, three personalities, they are one God, brothers and sisters, that's the way that, that it, things are supposed to be between us and our God. Read the high Priestly prayer of John 17 and you'll see that's exactly the degree of unity that God desires us to have. And so there's not supposed to be multiple spirits in your mind Or in the mind of the church, one spirit. He who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Brothers and sisters, I know that it is difficult sometimes to overpower the weakness of this flesh. I get it as well as any of you get it. We all get it. James tells us we all stumble in many ways. And as long as we are in these mortal bodies, we're going to continue to struggle with the battle of wills that takes place in our minds. Galatians 5, between our spirits and the Spirit of God, it's going to continue to be a battle. And there are evil spirits, spirit beings, that are sent out in the world that influence human civilization in the direction of evil and sin. We're called to resist that influence, and it is not always easy, and I get it. But if you have named the name of Christ, if you have obeyed the gospel plan of salvation and been baptized into Christ and have been added into the church, into the kingdom, Colossians 1 verse 13, if these things are true about you, then the primary the primary purpose of your life above all other things is striving to submit your will to the will of the Holy Spirit of God, so that there is no difference between your way of thinking And God's way of thinking that is our mission brothers and sisters it is our calling and we must embrace it whether we find it easy or hard the body apart from the spirit is dead as with our body so with the church there are many churches I'm sad to say in this world today that do not follow the Holy Spirit of God and therefore those churches are dead the church without the Holy Spirit is dead You must follow the will of the Holy Spirit. Number four, what does he do? This is probably the most common question that Christians ask about the doctrine of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit lives in the church, if the Holy Spirit dwells in us individually, then what does he do? Well, I'm not going to belabor the point. I'm just going to put a uh, a big uh, paragraph up there on the screen, uh, which is a digest of, of just about everything the New Testament says that the Holy Spirit does. And, and so I just want you to look at that. Let's read through it together. What does the Holy Spirit do? He helps us, John fourteen twenty six. He seals, He places a God's seal on us so that even in the spirit world that we can't see with our mortal eyes, but rest assured the spirit world sees you, all right? We are sealed by the Holy Spirit as God's children, it's official. When you obey the gospel, it's official. You're marked in the spiritual realm as God's son or God's daughter. We are, he is our partner in prayer, Romans 8, 26 and 27. He renews us or regenerates us, Titus 3, verse 5. He's the one that adds believers to the body, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. He is the agent of the new birth we experience when we are baptized into Christ, John 3, 3 and 5. He comforts us, 1 uh, Thessalonians verses 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 6. He gives us hope, Romans 15, 13. He produces our fruit, Galatians 5, 19 through 26. He fills us, Ephesians five eighteen. He gives us gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. He convicts and, and converts the world through the proclamation of the gospel, John 16, verse 8. He points the world to Jesus, and he points us to Jesus as well in all the circumstances of our lives, John 15, 26. And he restrains apostles to see. 2 Thessalonians 2 verses 6 through 10. He enables our understanding as well when we pray for providential guidance, when we open up God's Word to study it. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God according to Ephesians 6. The Spirit uses the Word to teach us, to shape us, to transform us, to guide us, to make us His missionaries. In whatever walk of life that we're living in, whether here or whether far away, 1 Corinthians 2, verses 10 through 13. That's what the Holy Spirit does. (laughs) He does quite a lot, actually. And it's just because I think there's fear of the Holy Spirit sometimes in the church because of divisions in the past, because of our concerns with folks that have embraced the false teachings of Pentecostalism. Sometimes in churches of Christ, we're a little bit uh, wary of the Holy Spirit. We ought not be. There's no mystery, really, about what the Holy Spirit does. Certainly there's mystery about how he does it. There's been disagreement about how he indwells us. And of course, we can all debate and discuss that. But we cannot deny that the Spirit dwells within us. We cannot and dare not deny that the Holy Spirit dwells in the church. And we dare not deny the essential leadership of the Holy Spirit in shaping us and guiding us through the Word and through providence to become the people that God would have us to be. So the Holy Spirit works through the written Word, and through providence, with you, through you, in you, and on you, and only he can complete the project that is you, the faithful son or daughter of God. Paul writes in Philippians 1.6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And what a wonderful promise that is. Because if we are, in fact, understanding the point of this lesson today, we're striving to submit our wills, each one of us individually, to the will of the Holy Spirit of God. We know how much a struggle it is to fight against sin, to fight against our weaknesses, to continue to try to embrace the perf- perfect morality, the perfect wisdom and holiness of God, and to embody that in these fallen frames. Man, that's difficult. But you know what you see over the course of years as a faithful Christian? You see that growth is granted to you. The Holy Spirit is in fact working with you and in your life. You will change. You will get stronger. You will get better. You will get wiser. You will be able to resist temptations that used to would have just knocked you down. And boy, won't it be satisfying. I know it's satisfying that I have experienced growth in my life as a Christian man. I'm thankful for that. But that doesn't mean I'm through struggling. And if I live to be 110 and I get to where I read my Bible eight hours a day every day and spend the other eight hours trying to do the work of the Lord and then sleep and maybe eat the other eight hours a day, if that's the whole of my existence, I'm going to be 110 and you know what I'm still going to be? A man plagued with weaknesses, struggling against temptations to evil every day of my life. You will not make it to the destination in your own power. Only God can complete the process of transformation that he, through the Holy Spirit, began the day that you were baptized into Christ. It will take a miracle to transform you into the full likeness of the Son of God, Jesus, your Savior and Lord. But that miracle is promised. On resurrection day we will be raised from the dead and being given glorious bodies like that of Jesus our Lord the Holy Spirit then will be our source of life and sustenance our minds will no longer be at odds against him we will be able to be what Jesus has already demonstrated a human being ought to be praise the Lord that is the hope (laughs) that belongs to our call but that's Lord willing next week's lesson or the week after number five What this means to us now. What this means to us now. It means several things. It means we're never alone. Brothers and sisters, it means we're never alone. Remember David's words in the 23rd Psalm. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you're with me. Your rod, your staff, comfort me. This is before the Holy Spirit was even given the way that he has been given to the church. So I'm telling you, as Christians, the Holy Spirit is closer to us than he was to King David, the prophet, when he wrote those words. Whatever you're going through in life, do not ever let the devil tempt you into thinking that you're going through it alone. You need to practice the presence of God. What that means is you know that the Bible promises you that he is with you. And you need to embrace that truth in your mind. And you need to begin to think and speak and act as if God is right there with you in everything that you do and everything that you go through in life because he is. If he ever left you, you would fail. You would fall and fail. You cannot succeed without the help of God. and He will never leave you and never forsake you as long as you keep on trying faithfully to be a loyal son or daughter to him. What does it mean for us today? It means that we're assured of success despite our weaknesses on the single condition of continued faithfulness or loyalty. Listen, brothers and sisters, we cannot save ourselves by our works. And as followers of Jesus, we've been saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves, the gift of God, uh, so that no one may, may boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, verse 10 says, For we were created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which he prepared before him that we should walk in them. There is no denying that as faithful Christians we are called to walk in the good works that the Word of God teaches us that we must walk in every day of our lives. We do that as a response to what God has done, and we do it as an expression of loyalty, of faithfulness and that's really what faithfulness is brothers and sisters it is continued loyalty you will never achieve the perfection of Christ no matter how hard you try no matter how hard you pray as long as you're in this fallen mortal body it will not happen it will not happen there's not a bar that you've got to meet well good finally oh that one work that was it I finally have done enough works to get me into heaven it does not work that way okay The bar is the bar that Christ has met. The bar is perfection and you haven't met it. You've already failed too much to meet that bar if you have sinned a single time, period. But if you will remain loyal, if you will continue faithfully to walk according to his word, praying for help and strength, when you fail, you get up dust yourself off, pray for forgiveness, move forward. Again, if you will continue that way through life, you are guaranteed of success. You will stand with him in glory. You will reign with him in eternity when he comes again. Let me tell you, the best thing you've ever experienced in this life doesn't compare to how good that is going to feel. Man, I cannot wait to stand there with Jesus in glory on Resurrection Day. Mm. That is what it's all about. And it means, brothers and sisters, beloved brothers and sisters, it means that we are in a partnership. And it's something that God has invited us into partnership with Him. We are His fellow workers. And so as we are studying, praying, Trying to grow, just trying to grasp what it means to be a son or daughter of God. We're partnering with God in that. He's active. He's with us. He's working through the Word. He's working in providence to lead us, to guide us, to shape us, to become what He would have us to be. Isn't that beautiful? When we're trying to share the gospel, Lord, I want to be a soul winner. Help me to find somebody this week that I can talk to about Jesus and try to influence them in the direction of salvation. Uh, When we do that, Paul tells us that we are God's fellow workers. He is working along with us and beside us and in us and through us and over us and under us and around us in every way in his omniscience and omnipotence and omnipresence. He is working in our lives. We are his partners, his partners, And carrying out the mission of the Great Commission and as we try to build each other up in the most holy faith that we share together as God's family brothers and sisters the Holy Spirit is in you and in me working through you and through me as we strive to build each other up I thank you so much for the wonderful influence that you all are on me continually I thank you so much for the words of encouragement that never fail to come from you in my direction on a constant basis it means so much and I hope that I am and can continue to be an encouragement to you a good brother in Christ to you but more than that I think the Holy Spirit of God who is the author of it all glory to his name let us worship God the Father let us worship God the Son and let us worship The Holy Spirit, who temples among us as his people. I've already told you today, if you know you're a sinner and you haven't obeyed the gospel, culminating in being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, you don't have the help of the Holy Spirit. His role in your world right now is to convict, to point you to Jesus. And that's what he's trying to do in your heart today. So if you haven't taken that step, and come forward and confess the name of Christ and said, I want to be baptized for the forgiveness of my sins, man, we would love nothing more than to immerse you into salvation today and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And today, if you are a baptized believer that needs the prayers of this church, hey, the Holy Spirit works through our prayers. As we saw, we'll gladly offer them to heaven in your behalf. Do you need to come forward? The front pews are open. Come as we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions, please email them to us at office at lavernecoc.org. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.